And I don't find it unusual that the son would come to the father's house and see what was going on and, and take note of it and do just exactly what Jesus did. And we know that messenger, John the Baptist, in that same verse, it says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. How Jesus coming into the temple on that day, making a, a whip from cords and driving out those who sold and exchanged money, people took notice. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So I titled the message, He Knows Our Hearts, and we're going to see a wedding in Cana, in verses 1 through 12, a cleansing in Jerusalem, verses 13 through 17, a sign for the world, verses 18 through 22, and the knowledge of our Savior, verses 23 through 25. Father, we pray that you'd open Scripture to us today, Lord. Help us not only to learn of the events that were recorded here in the Gospel of John concerning Jesus' life, but Father, I pray that you'd help us to learn from these events, whether in Cana or Capernaum or in Jerusalem, that we'll read about today. Father, help us to learn how we can walk as your followers in the day and age that we live in and trust in you in all things, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, John tells us in verses 11 and 12 that this was the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him, verse 11. So this was the beginning This was the first miracle. It manifested his glory, his reputation, his fame. Doxa is the Greek word. And his disciples believed in him. They hadn't seen everything that Jesus was going to do. And they did not know the end that would lead to his crucifixion and resurrection. But they believed that this is the Messiah as Andrew and Philip testified and Nathaniel last week from chapter 1. They gave testimony that this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the prophet. Well, after this event, Jesus, his disciples, Mary, his brothers. Yeah, it says brothers. Some will say, well, it was supposed to mean cousins. No, it's supposed to mean his brothers. They even name the four brothers for us in Scripture in Matthew thirteen fifty five. 
we find their names, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. They depart, go to Capernaum, as I mentioned earlier, and this became a home base while Jesus served there in the Galilee. They're on the northern shore of the Galilee. You can find the ruins of this place. We've been there. They believe that it's the original foundation stone that they have rebuilt upon. There's no ceiling over it. You sit in the wide open with all this stone around you, but it's cool to think that you have sat in the synagogue where Jesus worshiped his father. Now, they believe it's the original foundation stone because of the uh, type of stone that it was constructed from. Up in the northern area of the Galilee, there was some kind of volcanic eruption, and there are these huge black rocks, boulders everywhere. And that foundation stone is made from that black, dense volcanic rock. And so it would endure the test of time over thousands of years. So he's there with his family, with his disciples. And, and we have prophecy concerning Jesus as well. Psalm 69, 8 says, I have become a stranger to my brothers. It mentions brothers. It's prophetic of Jesus. And it goes on to say, Psalm 69, 8, I've become stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. And the Bible tells us that Joseph did not know Mary until after the birth of Jesus. So it shouldn't seem unusual to us. What do we learn from all this? If you can take one thing away, may we continually cast our cares upon the Lord, knowing that Jesus cares for us. He's able to meet every need in every situation. Well, from Capernaum, he makes his way down to Jerusalem in verses 13 through 17. Let's get the context before we move on. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers were doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it is written, this comes from Psalm 69. I just read to you Psalm 69, verse 8. This is Psalm 69, verse 9. The zeal of your house has eaten me up. It's so prophetic of Jesus. But he makes his way to Jerusalem. This significant for us in when we say the three years of Jesus's ministry, we get this from John's gospel. This is the first Passover that John tells us about. Now, we know that Jesus already has at least six disciples. He's already been doing ministry up to this point. But this is the first Passover recorded by John. And John chapter 2, verse 13, he'll record the second Passover in John 6, verse 4. And the third and final Passover before Jesus is crucified or where Jesus is crucified in John eleven fifty five, And so this is where we get the three years of Jesus's ministry by the three Passovers that John records for us here. Now, Jesus, we find in scripture, he was always obedient. He did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And the law said in Deuteronomy 16, 16, 
that all males shall appear before me wherever the tabernacle or temple happened to be three times a year. And we find Jesus holding true to these things. And throughout the gospel, Jesus always is fulfilling the law of the Father in every way. As he said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I came to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And the Passover feast, as we know, commemorates the time when God passed over the homes there in the Exodus in Egypt, where the Jews took the blood of the lamb that they had killed for the Passover meal, and they painted that blood over the lintel and doorpost of their homes. And because the angel that came through and destroyed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt on that night, when he came to a house that was marked by the blood, he passed over that house, thus Jesus becoming the true fulfillment of Passover. Exodus 12, 6 tells us, Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, the Passover lamb. And two years later, Jesus, the Lamb of God, would be crucified during Passover. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. I was so proud of you guys. It's the last time this month we get to do the memory verse from John 1.29, and you finally got it. I was listening. After you said sin, I didn't hear anybody go, there was no sins. You didn't put it in the plural form there, and I was so happy you did well. Even Pastor Kevin got it right this week. (laughs) Now the cleansing of the temple. If you read Bible commentators, they debate whether there was two cleansings or one cleansing. Those who believe that there were one would say that John inserted this out of place. Personally, I find that hard to believe considering that he has just introduced the first Passover. I don't think he would get it wrong. I think he knew the order of things, the order of the events. But he is the only one that mentions this earlier cleansing where Matthew, Mark, and Luke refer to the cleansing of the temple at the last Passover during that final week of Jesus Christ. But I don't think it's wrong that Jesus would come into the temple and cleanse it twice. When he came to the temple, it was not the temple proper, not the holy place, not the holy of holies. Only the high priest could enter the holy place or the holy of holies. Only the priest could serve in the priest's court. But there was a court of the men, the court of the women, the court of the Gentiles. And it was probably in the court of the Gentiles where they had set up shop. The court of the Gentiles was a place where non-Jewish worshipers could come and worship God. But the Jews didn't care about the non-Jewish worshipers. They set up shop, selling their wares. And we read of everything from sheep to oxen to money changers to doves being sold there. But take note that he said, my father's house, and I don't find it unusual that the son would come to the father's house and see what was going on and and take note of it and do just exactly what Jesus did. And I also don't find it unusual at the end of the ministry to, in a sense, put parentheses around his ministry to warn them in the beginning and to see in the end that they did not heed, did not obey, to do it one more time before judgment would come upon this people. 
But also, the same passage that we learned of John the Baptist in Malachi 3.1 that says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare a way before me. And we know that messenger, John the Baptist. In that same verse, it says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. Now Jesus coming into the temple on that day, making a, a whip from cords and driving out those who sold and exchanged money, people took notice. Some might think that the Lord's great show of strength here would cause people not even to want to come near him. But in Matthew's account later on, Matthew 21, 14, it tells us, so the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The house is to be a house of healing. The house is to be a, a house of prayer. And even in our day and age, we have churches that they set up shop to sell their wares. And it's more about money and income than it is about ministry. And that's a danger for us. And the church of Jesus Christ is always to be a house of prayer, a house of healing for all people. And so the people called out verses 18 through 22, show us a sign. And we read verses 18 through 22. I'll get us into the context. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you do or show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it has been 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So the people, the Jews, it's like, show us a sign. Why are you doing this? He was like a bit of a madman, perhaps. And the son coming to clean his father's house. Not surprising to me that he would do this. But the Jews asked for a sign. And they had declared it had been 46 years. In fact, it would take almost 80 years. This is known as Herod's Temple. And it was really a, just a, a super remodeling project. Can you imagine that? A remodeling project that lasts for 80 years? A remodeling project of the second temple. Some people call this the third temple, but there is the Bible speaking about a third temple to be yet to be built. I don't believe it was the third temple because the second temple was this being remodeled, began by Herod the Great. He would not live to see it, of course. And in fact, it would be finished just about 10 years before it was destroyed. And the finishing of the temple perhaps played into the destruction of, of the revolt that took place by the Jews against the Romans because when the temple, they record, when the temple was finished, there was suddenly 18,000 men unemployed. That was a lot of manpower. Well, you imagine so, if you go to Israel, you'll see some of the foundation stones of this temple. And the largest is found at Robinson's Arch, and they believed it first to be several stones, but now they believe it's just one stone. That one stone is 45 feet, six inches long, believed to weigh 570 tons. Remember a ton, 2,000 pounds for every ton? How did they even move these things? 
Our sanctuary is just probably right around 43 feet wide, so a stone longer than the width of our sanctuary. But they declared it's taken 46 years up to this time to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But John says his disciples, understanding he was speaking of the temple of his body, and they understood this only after his resurrection from the grave. So they remembered these things three years later. Oh, this is what he was talking about. We didn't, we didn't understand it. That's why I love scripture so often. We'll read through passages and we'll read it and we'll think about it. We'll ponder perhaps the verse and not really get the real meaning of the verse. And it could be years later. We'll be reading through it again and suddenly it's like, oh, that's what you were talking about. I get it. Now I understand. In fact, these words were remembered at Jesus's trial in Mark 14, 57 through 59. Some men rose up, bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple. Remember, there are false witnesses. He said, destroy this temple. I will raise it up. He didn't say he was going to destroy it, but their account, I will destroy this temple made with hands. And three days later, I will build another without hands. But not even in this did their testimony agree. So even his enemies remembered these words. The temple made with hands, temple made without hands. Temple made with hands referring to the physical building, but the temple made without hands referring to the, the life of Jesus himself, the physical body of Jesus himself. And though they destroyed the temple of Jesus' body, he raised it up in three days. So we close out in verses 23 through 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. So although John doesn't tell us the signs, they believed because of the signs that he did at that time. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need of that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. They often say seeing is believing, right? Show me state. We have a, a nickname of one of our own states here in the United States. Got to see it and then I'll believe it. But John only records seven miracles for us in his gospel the turning of water into wine that we read about in verses 1 through 11 here in chapter 2, the healing of the nobleman's son in chapter 4, verses 46 through 54, the healing of the man with 38 years infirmity, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, 5 through 14, the walking on water by Jesus in John 6, verses 16 through 21, the healing of a man born blind. In John 9, verses 1 through 12, and the raising of Lazarus. In John 11, all of John 11, 1 through 45, the whole chapter's about that miracle. John only recorded seven miracles. We read in this passage that many believed on him by the signs that he did. So there were many more miracles. In fact, John would say, in John 20, verses 30 and 31, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe. The theme 
of our study in the Gospel of John, that you may believe. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John was thinking, you know, seven miracles is enough. It's sufficient for people to believe that Jesus is the Christ. They believed, but verses 24 and 25, the word tells us Jesus did not commit himself to those who believed in him. He knew their hearts. In John 6, 64, it tells us, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Jesus knows our hearts. He testified in John 6, 64, from the beginning, he knew those who would believe, those who would betray him, those who do not believe in him. It was after the feeding of the 5,000, the next day when Jesus refused to allow the people to make him king. It tells us in John 6, 66, interesting numbers there, 666. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They had seen a mighty miracle. They had believed in him, but when he didn't fit their image of what the Messiah should be like, they said, that's it. I'm not following him. What they wanted was free food for the rest of their life, and Jesus wasn't going to go there. His hour had not yet come. Hebrews 4.13 tells us, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jesus knows our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 tells us that our hearts are deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And here's the thing that I find amazing. Jesus, knowing our hearts, he knows what's in our hearts. He knows the thoughts that we think. He knows the things that we have done. And he was willing to come and to give his life upon the cross that we might be saved. You know, if it was us, we might view people and understanding perfectly, perhaps the thoughts of their hearts, the intent of their hearts, if we have that kind of judgment and seen the wickedness that can be in mankind, we might think, well, pff, I'll judge you. You're done. I want nothing to do with you. But the Lord, knowing the condition in the heart of mankind, he came to give his life upon the cross for our sins, that we might be saved, that he can give us a new heart, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. From this teaching today, I hope that we can remember with the wedding in Cana, that in any situation, we can cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. With the cleansing in Jerusalem, May it be that our churches, this church, may they always be a place of prayer and healing for all people. And the signs for the world, may we remember that the one great sign that's been given to us in Scripture is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
and concerning the knowledge of our Savior. Well, if we're believers here today, then concerning the knowledge of Jesus, we should have hearts filled with thanksgiving. Lord, knowing my heart, you saved me. If you do not know Christ as your Savior today, then knowing that Jesus knows your heart and knowing that he came to give his life upon the cross for your sin, the only thing you need to do then is to believe in him that you might be saved. Father, thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful chapter. We thank you, Lord, as detailed as John was. And he didn't go into everything. He admits that toward the end of his gospel. Not every miracle was recorded, but he recorded these for us that we might believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Father, I pray that the teachings that we glean throughout the Gospel of John this year, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would grow us in our faith to trust in you, to believe in you, to walk in your ways, always. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Let